Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the binding. Lopez, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. This is the continuation of the first two Discworld books. We are going to be covering The Light Fantastic today, which was published in 1986. Now, a quick amendment to the last episode. I think I said The Color of Magic, the first book of Discworld, came out in 1985. It actually was published in 1983. I don't know why I said 1985. I think I was thinking about this interview that I was reading about, or I was reading, uh, I was reading Neil Gaiman talk about interviewing Terry Pratchett in 1985 about the color of magic, but the color of, of magic actually came out in 1983. It was that was when it was published. This is followed by Equal Rights, which is the third of the Discworld books. Now there's 41 Discworld books, so there's quite a few of them. Some of them go together and some of them do not. They all take place on Discworld and they all, all the events of all of them have happened or will happen. So they're all kind of consistent in that way. But uh, The Light Fantastic does directly follow The Color of Magic, which is really cool. And uh, it is just a fun little continuation of that story, which is following Rincewind, the, the kind of not very great wizard, and, uh, and Two Flower, the tourist to to the Discworld continent that they're on. I Man, it slips me what they actually call it. I don't even know if they've particularly named it. I feel like they just refer to it as Discworld. And he's from the counterweight uh, continent, which is like on the other side of the disc planet. So this starts off almost immediately after the events of The Color of Magic, where you're basically left thinking that like Rinse, Wind, and Two Flower were thrown off the edge of the disc, and you you basically think they're gonna die, but uh, but needless to say, they do not. And you actually find out that the Octavo, the Octavo is that book that is housed at the Unseen University, and it holds those eight like like very specific and very like um, I guess kind of like sacred spells. And like in a way, they're like too po- they're like too powerful to control. So they're kind of contained within this book and locked away, and nobody can actually read them. Rincewind was the, if you recall from the last episode, he accidentally he snuck into the room in which they were stored and accidentally read one of them, and it got stuck in his brain. And it's like the whole reason that he can't learn any other spells, which adds like this whole bit of humor that's really hilarious. That like. He's the worst wizard on the disc because he re- he has he only knows the most powerful spell that's ever been read by a wizard. So kind of that bit of irony and that bit of humor in that that's quite enjoyable. Now you do find out that the Octavo actually adjusts reality in order to save Rincewind, but really not to save Rincewind, but to actually save the eighth, the the spell that is stuck in his mind because it would have been lost for good and that would have created a whole list of problems that actually end up kind of coming up as we go through the light fantastic here. Now, very quickly in the story, death is reintroduced as a character. I've gone in and out. I, I went into it a little bit before. I really love 
like death as a character and like putting kind of that personification um, to death and creating it and making it something more than just like the, you know, losing of life, but also like putting an entity behind it. And like, I know that throughout time and throughout literature, like death, the Grim Reaper is he or she has been used as a character. And uh, I, I just, I, I love the way Terry Pratchett spins it. Like he, he he is a man in the i mean i at least perceive him as a man maybe he's not but it is is perceived as like this kind of like you know almost kind of done with his job like he's he just does it because he's supposed to and he follows the rules but it, it's he's just kind of go like he he has found the humor in death which i i i really really enjoy out of his character and i think that it adds quite a bit he's almost kind of like sick of humans to a certain degree which uh or like their inability to understand death i guess and uh i, I can't wait to read some more of these stories like and as he continues to play a part in them just because i want to get like a little bit more out of it through the fourth book more you get a, really get a lot and i'm very excited to, to get a chance to talk about that so death is actually summoned by this group of wizards um, at the unseen university and he warns them that Discworld is going to be destroyed by this huge red star that is coming at the disc and and you have to also kind of imagine that because the disc sits up sits atop the four elephants that sit atop the great Atuan, the, the cosmic turtle that it is also flying towards this red star that's coming at them so it, it's kind of like creating this whole problem that like the disc is going to be destroyed and it's very inevitable because Atuan is going towards it and the giant red star is coming towards the great Atuan and the disc world as well so the Discworld is going to be destroyed unless the eight spells from the Octavo are read. And that's kind of where this whole story revolves around and kind of changes quite a bit from the last book where like there's not like those super high stakes. It's basically just like the first book kind of revolves around the sense of Two Flower having all of this money and wanting to see the world and Rincewind kind of taking advantage of that and going and, and kind of being his... Um, his guide as he travels through this continent and Rincewind really has no business doing that but he's using it for the money and and Two Flower wants him to do it he offers him everything but it's kind of like that whole book revolves around like the concept of that the luggage having all of Two Flower's money and belongings in it and as people figure out what's in there and how wealthy he is and how unaware of how wealthy he is on this continent and they're kind of just chasing him around. And it, it adds for this just funny, quick little story. But the stakes kind of raise a little bit with this with this book. And I really like The Light Fantastic because from the five Discworld books I've read, I would say this is the one that you really get a lot of, like, the great Atuan as a character, kind of. But, like, it's a little bit more metaphysical to, like, what reality is and what like the concept of life of a planet and and things like that and i really enjoyed it and from the five that i've read this is the one that i i personally thought gave me the most of that now i'm rereading this for the second time and once i get through book five i will have read all the first five for the second time so i might be wrong about that i might have to make a little amendment to that as we go through but it was really cool to kind of get some of those concepts. And a lot of the uh, the kind of 
climax of the story revolve around like the great Atuan as a turtle space cosmic turtle and as like the host of this planet and and that continues and you get a lot more which is really nice that Pratchett gives you this so early in this book series because it's kind of nice there's a lot of mystery revolving around this really interesting concept of a planet that's a disc that's sitting on the back of four giant elephants that stand on the back of a cosmic turtle so like you know as as a fan you want to and as a reader you kind of you kind of need a little bit of payout from that early in the series because it's not something I think I could linger on for too long and like you know I could see getting to book five or six and being like okay these stories are fun they're hilarious but like I kind of want a little bit of explanation on like how this planet exists why this planet exists what is going on with the great Atuan? Like, can I get a little more of that? And and the Light Fantastic certainly pays that out, which is really really nice, and not something I'll get fully into, but uh, just because it's like it's worth the read, for um, or it's worth that being kind of something that gets to re revealed to you as this book goes along. Another character that's interesting, like a full on antagonist, gets introduced to you in in book two here, and his name's Trimon. And Trimon is like, uh, he's like an apprentice of this like head wizard, and that head wizard gets killed by the luggage, ironically, in this whole circumstances where it just kind of evaporate, like, um, like appeared out of nowhere. And he ends up using that to his advantage and kind of like taking over that position, even though he's seemingly not very qualified for it. And he ends up, uh, he ends up want like having this whole like self-obsession with um with becoming like the most powerful wizard and he thinks he can do that by specifically reading these eight spells himself so he's like he has his own agenda and his agenda is not necessarily for the good of the disc or anything like that and he certainly wants to uh to find Rincewin and use him and get the spell out of him and everything like that so it is interesting that like this antagonist who um, has this own like self-motivated agenda that's like goes against the good of the disc is is introduced because book one doesn't really have a lot of that like you have bad you have you know villainous characters but you don't have like this full-on kind of like I don't like that guy kind of character so it was cool to have him introduced and so they're basically like he's having Rincewin and his crew hunted throughout this entire story and Rincewin, you know, kind of a moron just in general, is not aware of any of it. Like, he, he's aware that, like, they're hunting him, but he, like, doesn't know it's Trimon. He's not very aware, like, self-aware of everything that's going on because he's just so caught up in, like, the craziness of the day-to-day. -day. Like, a lot happens in the story. A lot, a lot, several new companions get introduced to it. Um, you know, they help him along the way, not super important for us to go over like right now, just because they, Rincewind and Two Flowers still main, still continue to maintain that, that kind of most important character aspect of this. And, and they like, it, Two Flower and Rincewind have this interesting relationship where like Two Flower does like Rincewind and, and Rincewind has grown to appreciate the companionship that Two Flower gives him. But I think at the same time, he is kind of like, he gets a little salty with him. He does think he's he thinks two flowers a moron. Where like obviously I've called I've already called Grinswin a moron, and it, it's just funny because he thinks I don't know if he thinks necessarily highly of himself, but he definitely thinks a little bit more highly of himself than or gives himself a little more credit than I think he personally deserves. So 
along with that as uh, as as this red star is getting closer everybody in the story becomes aware of what's going on and the importance of reading the eight spells and they decide they need to get back to the octavo at the unseen university and a whole list of events happen in order to get them there and they also become aware that the magic on the disc is becoming weaker as the star is getting closer and there's some ideas that obviously that has to do with these most powerful spells having to be said in order to keep it at bay so the magic it's it's just kind of interesting that the most powerful magic is going to have to be used in order to stop this and bring all of the power of the magic kind of back and that brings me honestly to the main point and and I don't even know if you can really call it a theme but the main point I wanted to get to in this story in the in from what I've read from Discworld is how Terry Pratchett uses magic because it's done in such an interesting way that it's not like like in a lot of fantasy magic is something that like needs to be conjured and it needs to be like brought into reality where in these Discworld books, it's like magic is like an entity that can like be manipulated itself where like it doesn't necessarily like it is conjured in a way, I suppose, but it's almost something that like, uh, like training a dog, I guess is, is an interesting way to think of it. Like it, it's tangible. Like you can grab it, you can reach out and touch it. You can use your eyes and see it. You can hear it. And it doesn't necessarily need to be conjured and brought to life and brought into reality, which is interesting because in most fantasy from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter, it, it doesn't exist in that way where it's just kind of floating through the world. Like there are parts of this book and the color of magic where Pratchett describes the the magic itself as being like an aura around certain entities. So it's really kind of cool that he turns magic into this tangible thing that maybe not everybody can control, but everybody can be very, very aware of it. And certain areas of the disc have a lot of it and other areas of the disc don't have very much of it at all or possibly none at all. And only certain people can, um, can actually manipulate it and use it and some of them can manipulate it and use it in in different ways than others can and we'll get into that a little bit with uh, a lot more in the equal rights book for book three because that kind of goes into some of the differences between how people can use it and why some people can use it in one way and why some people can use it in another way but i found that very very cool because especially like i'm a huge harry potter fan like um those those fantasy books were really integral in me getting into fantasy series when I was younger and I'm a huge fan of it and and that is still very much like that conjuring like there are magical creatures and there is magic itself which somebody can learn to conjure and manipulate and use but it doesn't like it doesn't exist like dust exists or like oxygen exists like it still needs to be brought into the world and in some cases, maybe that's not necessarily the, not necessarily always how it is. Like there could certainly be like a magical place or a place that contains a lot of magic, but in, 
it it's not this like living breathing thing itself like i was saying where you're like it's not like you're learning how to use it you're learning how to train it kind of and and that at least that's how i perceive magic in these discworld books and i think that's really cool i think that's such a unique um view and kind of a unique take on magic because we're getting to the point in in the fantasy world where a lot of these magical concepts have been used and overused and will continue to be reused and it's always interesting to see that done in a unique way because like truly i mean harry potter was the last really big one and at least for that kind of like you know young adults into adult reader and we do have like the Brandon Sanderson books like the Mistborn books and the Stormlight Archives where he is using magic in new and unique ways as well and I do find that pretty cool his magic is a little bit different it's not even some I don't like I guess you could call it magic but it's used in a different way there's kind of like almost like a science behind his explanation to it not saying that the science is actually uh, concrete like within the real world here but there's all in the Sanderson novels the the, the magic is like the, oh, this very concrete science like driven by science type of thing it's it's more just like how those worlds work which is really cool as well so that's like my big takeaway from these two books is just this concept of magic and like it being this tangible thing. And so if you decide to read these, uh, look for that because it's really cool and it, it makes this it makes for this really fun read. I mean, these are like such a these are such low stakes books that I think that uh, they're just it makes them fun. It makes them really simple to read and it makes them something enjoyable. They're not really long. You don't have to like commit a ton of time to it or feel like you need to remember every single detail because it's all about the fun. It, I really truly believe these with these two these two books. It's all about the fun. It's all about really enjoying the experience. So moving forward, um, I'm actually going to take a break. This should be the last episode of May, and when we come back, in, and I'm going to take a break for all of June spending time still recording episodes still still recording episodes kind of just getting a stockpile for my July because I know my July is going to be pretty pretty hectic and pretty busy so I want to make sure that I have plenty of episodes that I can release every week during July but when we do come back we will cover Equal Rights which is the third book in Discworld and I'm going to continue I want to I want to I want to try and read all the Discworld books but I think I'm going to do like chunks of five so I'm going to cover Equal Rights, Mort, and Sorcery, I think is the fifth one, if I'm remembering correctly. And then I'll take a break, I'll do some other stuff, and then I'll come back and I'll maybe do 6 through 10. That's kind of my plan, because I also, if somebody decides they want to listen to all the Discworld ones, I want them to like not have to go like one, and then six episodes later, two, anything like that. I want them to be a little bit easier to listen to. So I, I'm pretty excited about that. So I hope everybody has a great summer and enjoys their June, and Beyond the Bindings will be back in July. I'm Max Lopez, and as always, this is Beyond the Bindings. <laughs>